Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. Don't get up too quickly, goal getter. We've got a little bit more of this episode at the end when you'll hear from real life goal getters just like you out there setting and achieving big goals. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not afraid. With me, I have Cindy Kuzma. Kristen Guile, and Maggie Umberger. But today, we will be talking a little bit about us and a little bit about past episodes that have to do with the power of community. Hi, ladies. Hey, Gina. Hi, Gina. And today, we're talking about the power of community. And at A Sweat Life, community is our lifeblood. It's really the reason why we do everything, uh, because we believe that fitness is the catalyst for living your best life. So we try to enable a community to help themselves and help each other to live their best lives and achieve big goals. So I know that all of us in this room have had bigger goals achieved or big impacts because of the community around us. So we're excited to talk about this today. Gina, I would love to hear um, just from your perspective, the phrase that we say a lot that I think we've all come to love and know for our in our own hearts, in our own ways, um, that everything is better with friends. It's really simple, but it's powerful. And I'd love to know the first time that you said it or thought it or how it has become so integrated in what we do at A Sweat Life. Well, first of all, everything is better with friends because when you're out there achieving something and you're doing it alone, no one's there to high five you. And a high five alone is just silence. But when I was starting a sweat life six years ago, I started it with the very simple idea of writing about workouts that I loved. And I very quickly was lonely. Um, And I also was getting emails from people who, A, wanted to know why I was so brave as to be able to try new workouts by myself. And I kept getting emails that had that same theme. I'm too afraid to try a workout by myself. How were you so brave? I wish I could do that too. So after seeing that theme, we started hosting sweat working events, which is right around the time that Kristen joined the team or just after. So Kristen Guile was our very first writer at A Sweat Life, and now today she is our editor-in-chief. But as she sort of reached out and said, I want to help, I started to realize how lonely and tired I was. And I realized that I was living this life that could have benefited from community, as were our readers, as they were expressing essentially that they needed help to try these workouts. So we started hosting sweat working and realized very quickly that, in fact, it was true that workouts at the very least were better with friends. But then we started trying to figure out what wasn't better with friends. And there's a very short list of things that aren't better with friends. So everything is better with friends. And there have been tons of times where I have thought everything is better with friends is like kind of a mantra and probably like the most easily accessible memory is when I was training for my first marathon. And Cindy, I know you probably have had a lot of similar experiences too, but the reality of the fact is when I was training for my first marathon, Nike had put together an awesome group. We had weekly group runs. We did cross training together. We did weekly yoga together. They brought in speakers and nutrition experts and recovery tools, and they like did everything they could to get us to succeed. I don't think a lot of us would have the guts to run 20 miles on our own in practice for a race day, but 
when your friends were showing up and when you knew that there were going to be people there to hold you accountable, that just became another thing you had to do on a Saturday morning. And even better, it was a little bit fun, right? Because you had your friends with you and you had plenty of people to high five afterwards. So Cindy, have you had similar experiences with all your running and writing about running? I have for sure. And I think there was a really powerful demonstration of this concept. Um, Right now we're talking the week after the Berlin Marathon, where Eliud Kipchoge just broke the world record in the marathon. He ran it like 78 seconds faster than anyone else has ever run a marathon before. Two hours, one minute and 39 seconds. And he actually ran a lot of this race alone. His pacers couldn't even keep up with him. The people who were like assigned to take him part of the way, they ended up dropping out. But what's incredible about his performance is that there's no way he would have been able to prepare for this without a team. And speaking of Nike, they had recruited Kipchoge and a couple of other runners, too, last year on this ambitious project called Breaking Two that was designed to try to run a marathon even faster, faster than two hours. And while it was just about almost successful, he Kipchoge that time ran 25 seconds over two hours on a course that wasn't sanctioned. So it doesn't count as a world record, which is like a really running nerdy thing to do is to talk about it. <laughs> I'll stop that. But uh, what's really remarkable is like this incredible team of runners and scientists and pacers and fans and Nike leaders all had to come together for that incredible thing to happen. And most of the scientists and experts that I have heard talking about Kipchoge's world record breaking marathon this past weekend have said that there's no way he could have run this performance this past weekend even though much of it was on his own, without all of the teamwork that led up to that. And that includes all those people. That also includes all the people at his training camp in Kenya. I mean, there's something about the power of the group to push you to your limits so that even then when you are on your own, you're still a stronger person. And that is just, to me, an incredible demonstration of that. And what's nuts about that is when you do the math, his splits were in the fours. The mere act of running a mile between four and five minutes is impossible for most mere humans. But most mortals do not understand that folks can push past that and not only push past it and do it for 26.2 miles. The actual split was four minutes and 38 seconds per mile, which is nuts. Again, to put that on sort of that 26.2 mile scale. Um, And it's just another case for how much a community and a team and a coach and someone in your corner can help and help you push past something that mortals cannot do. I think about when we got to interview Kurt Seedensticker about his journey as CEO of Vital Proteins, and he talked a lot about his team uh, when I was interviewing him. Like, we are interviewing high achievers about their goals, and I am constantly surprised and pleasantly so about how often these CEOs and high achievers do talk about the entire team and really what they're doing to fuel their team's growth, and they see the direct impact. And that's exactly what Kurt was saying, was that It's a big part of Vital Protein's culture to set goals within within their teams and then for individuals among their teams to then go forth and be set free to achieve them so that there is very little micromanagement and a lot more um, support in what do you want? How are you going to go after it? How can I support you in getting there? And I think that's a big thing that we do at A Sweat Life, too, is that we're not just happy with settling with exactly the same thing that we've done before. We want to know how can we push the boundaries? How can we do something a little bit newer, more or fresher or something that scares us a little bit? And then how are we going to lean on each other to get there? Because there's no way that 
any of the things that we've done could have been done solo. And every time that we can add someone else to the team, it's like, how did we ever function without them beforehand? It's honestly like having a limb where you were functioning for us, it was like we were functioning with two hands and it was great. We never knew what life was like without legs. And then all of a sudden we had legs and we're like, oh my gosh, we can go places. So it is, it's really interesting to sort of watch us build this team and this body that can go in one direction towards one goal. And I think that is when we talk about these high achievers, that is the thing that unifies them is they are able to sort of get their teams marching in one direction towards one goal. When your attention is divided and when you're not focused on the goal at hand, it can be more difficult to actually achieve things. Whereas if you're all swimming in one direction and you don't worry about politics and you don't worry about title and you don't worry about anything except for achieving that goal, things happen a lot faster. I know when we talked to Jim Huther from Hyperice, the CEO, he talked a lot about team and a lot about how he sort of sets the team free to go out and just be focused on the goals, like being the most innovative company out there. And when you talk about Jim's interview, it, it reminds me of how he said that around the table of when they're when they're in their marketing meeting, um, they can bring everybody. Anyone is welcome to come. An engineer ended up being the one to come up with an idea for a campaign that all the other marketers on the team didn't think of originally. And I think about how cool it is to tap into your own community before going out and outsourcing. Like I, I also think that we do a pretty good job of that, of saying, we have a lot of experts right in front of us. Let's talk to them. Let's bring them in. Or let's ask someone who we might not normally ask about a question to see if they'll have some interesting input. And they generally do. I think that's such a huge strength among communities when you can talk and collaborate and kind of cross the boundaries of what everyone's specific role is. And I know that we're talking like communities in the workplace, but it's an incredible like resource to have. It's not just friends. It's, it, is, it can be like your lifeblood. Well, speaking of communities outside of the workplace, Maggie, I know when you moved to Chicago, you didn't know a soul. And yet here you are a few years later with a whole group of people, work, gym, life, friends outside of the workplace that have made a huge impact on the things that you do every day. So what was it like moving here without knowing anybody and not having a support system to fall back on immediately in your same zip code? Well, I was I was lucky in that I knew my boyfriend when I moved here. But outside of that, I, I didn't have like a group that exactly, you know, my group of friends from college that all went back to the same kind of city and started work. Or I moved from North Carolina to Chicago, where it felt like a lot of people were not moving um, to Chicago. I don't know why. We love the winter. <laughs> but I chose to brave the winter weather and buy a parka my second week in August when I moved here. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm living here. And it was it was hard at first because I I did feel like those pangs to get home when I when things got difficult and I just wanted to like be with the comforts of home and I was a flight away and I couldn't do that. But the more that I let community in and the more that I actually believed that people were there to support me and see me succeed and that I wasn't alone, I think it was a lot of me believing it myself. It's not so much that others are, have a hard time letting you in. It's like when are you ready to be accepted sort of thing, um, that I let my guard down a little bit and um, became so 
wrapped into the culture of sweat in Chicago. I love it so much. Um, I love everywhere that I teach. I love the team that we have at A Sweat Life. And I don't think that if I had, you know, taken the leap of faith by coming to A Sweat Life that I would even still be in Chicago, honestly. I think it would have run dry pretty quickly, my love for the city. But when you kind of just jump in and accept that people are there to help you and see you succeed, it comes back tenfold. Well, I feel like I have a tear in my eye, and I'm so glad that you're still here, Maggie. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, what you say is really interesting, too, and I think um, it's so personal and and emotional, but it ties back to the goals that our entrepreneurial guests have talked about, too, that a big part of building that community is kind of admitting what you don't know and allowing yourself to accept help. Think about Lisa Jarosik, who had this vision to start Shore Club and didn't know how to open a restaurant, really, and really had to reach out for the resources and the help that she needed to figure out how to make that happen. And that vulnerability is really hard on a personal level and on a professional level. And often that seems to be what's required to really build the type of community that is as powerful as it is. And then we've had, you know, other cases where community has changed someone's business model, like for Tim and Jessica Murphy at BibRave. You know, they kind of started their website with an idea about community, that they were going to be a race review, a Yelp for races. And so that was sort of community-based. But then what they did was develop this team of BibRave pros, of ambassadors, to help, and then realized that that was actually the most valuable resource of all was those people's time and talent and expertise and the help they gave each other and the help they could give brands and the help they could give BibRave. So what I'm curious about with the sweat life as it has grown and changed and now you have this ambassador program for you all, what has that meant for you? How did that come about and what has that changed about the way a sweat life operates? So when I was solo in the full-time side of the business, we had a, a growing team of writers uh, and I was pursuing Maggie to work full-time at A Sweat Life, I had this sort of far-fetched vision and idea that we would bring on a a crew of ambassadors, but it wouldn't be a traditional ambassadorship. We've come to know now that ambassador is really a misnomer, but we're just going to roll with it because there are ambassadors. So on Maggie's first day, as we were setting her goals, I threw at her the idea or essentially the challenge that she would be responsible for this ambassadorship. And I kind of just took a step back and let her run with it. And from there, Maggie can tell the rest of the story. Well, a big piece of where this came from is, I think it was on the first day, and Gina, you said, there are people here that come to sweat working. They keep coming back. And I want to do more for them than what we can do at sweat working. So how do we give back to the people that have shown up for the workouts and have agreed to meet new friends and to shake a hand a few times over and over again? Uh, So the ambassadorship grew out of this idea of how can we give something back to people that are already showing up for us? We want to do something more. And um, it all kind of revolved around how do we create a program giving people what they need and it reinforcing community. And I think what the ambassadorship has done is it's allowed us to really walk the walk more than just talk the talk, which we do diligently on A Sweat Life and that we say that everything is better with friends and that fitness is the catalyst to you living your best life. They're not lofty statements because we make them a reality through things like the events that we host with ambassadors and the kinds of community um, organization that we do among them. 
there's workouts involved for sure, but we know that's not the biggest part of your your life or your day even generally. So everything that we do compounds to the idea that uh, fitness is the catalyst to your best life. We add the other things, the other elements, whether they're goal setting workshops, productivity seminars, or desire mapping, understanding goals from a different perspective or thinking from a different part of your brain. Um, Even things like decluttering the things that don't serve you so that you can make room for the things that do. Just coming at it from all angles, we want people to have the tools to feel successful, healthy, and happy. And then community is what fuels all that. It's what really like lights a flame to this small fire. It makes it big. And so as this program has grown from 26 people to 100 people to 150, and now who knows how many across the country, that's what we hope to do is continue to offer the tools and the means to create community among each other that support system that we found has truly helped, not just in a workout sense, but in a uh, live your life and feel your best kind of sense. And what's been fun about the ambassadorship is it's it's been an opportunity for us to truly community organize. And what I mean by that is that we're able to sort of tell the community, tell the ambassadors what we want to see, what we expect of them, what what would be a great outcome, and then just sort of set them free to let them accomplish it. And I think that we do a good job of sharing our ideals, so the, the pillars that make us who we are, and sharing a goal with them and letting them free to go out there and capture it. We don't necessarily explain what the ambassadorship is to anyone who's not in it. It's kind of fun to talk about it right now. But I, I do think that community organizing element and that strand that comes through it, we saw it also come out, obviously, through Colin Hudson, who is a community organizer. And he also creates media around sort of the campaigns and the different community groups and the different community causes that he gets behind through Soapbox Productions. So as he talked about, organizing a community around ideas, uh, it, it was similar, where it was sort of like leading from behind, setting a, a goal and a target and letting the community do the work. I think that was really interesting. I think we're all kind of talking a big game about community right now. And I think it's especially interesting because I know that the four of us sitting in this room definitely identify as introverts and get drained a lot of times from spending our time around other people. And that's not to say that we don't love it, but I know we each need those days where we completely turn off our phones and ignore the outside world and just completely recharge. So I'm interested to hear how you guys sort of balance that community idealism with still being true to yourself and your needs. That is a great question. And I've thought about that a lot when I left my last full-time job to go freelance about seven years ago. I thought, man, am I going to like forget how to talk to people? Is it going to be like a big challenge to go out and do the kinds of things and connect with community in the ways that I used to because I'm home by myself all the time? And in fact, what I have found is that making most of my workday pretty much solo actually makes the community experiences that I do have in the evenings, on the weekends, when I get to come hang out with you guys. I'm so much more refreshed and recharged and better in those times than I was when I was sort of like stretching myself thin 
you know, kind of making office chit chat for not that I mean, my last full time job was great. Don't get me wrong. And I had wonderful coworkers. But it's almost like that idea of conserving that energy for when you can tell that it will be most beneficial for you. Like, don't expend it when it's not really necessary or just see if you can kind of structure your life in a way that helps you take advantage of that without overstretching yourself, if that makes sense. I don't know. What, how has that been for you all? I, too, am an introvert, which people don't always understand when we talk about being introverted with the work that we do because we are so community focused. So I try to do two things and that's listen to my body and my brain. And I try to pre-store, which is a phrase that was coined by Kristen Guile on asweatlife.com. So this week, for example, we have six events between tonight and Sunday, which is a lot of events. Um, we don't have an event Wednesday. So in, in sort of preparation for that, and also just given kind of my mental state last week, I gave myself the weekend to just be alone uh, and be alone with my thoughts and get the things done that I needed to do to sort of clear my head and declutter my schedule. And I came into this week pretty fresh. I also gave myself the permission to come into the office at noon so that I could get my workout in, sleep a little bit later, and then when we hit the ground running, we would hit it sprinting, pre-storing. Also, listening to my body and my brain. When I start to get fried, I'm not creative. I don't want to interact with anyone, and I go from kind of awkward to incredibly awkward, <laughs> unable to make eye contact or engage. I try not to get to no eye contact awkward and sort of gauge my one to 10 on the no eye contact awkward scale, um, maybe like a five. Take a break. What about you, Kristen? Well, I'm coming off uh, one trip in particular where I went to Montana and Banff in Canada, and throughout that time, I did not have cell phone service, say 90% of the time. And it was great. And I came back feeling so refreshed from that specifically that now I am noticing that I feel much better when I declutter my technology. So that means a lot of times, and you guys might have noticed this over the past couple weeks, if I feel like I need to recharge, I will tell you my phone is on mute. You can send me an email and I'll respond when I check my email, but I need to be unplugged for a little bit. And that is how I am finding my introvert self-recharging when we don't have to be consumer-facing in our day-to-day -day work. So that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and it's been great. And now I'm experimenting with, you know, not sleeping with my phone in my room and not checking my phone first thing in the morning and just mindfully turning off that connection to others so that I can enjoy it when I do choose to engage. What you say, Gina, about listening to your brain and your body has become more and more important for me and increasingly so. I think I still need to, to do that even more because I think the things that can fuel me up are also the things that deplete me. So teaching a lot, I love it. And then like this weekend, for instance, I taught a class that is special on the schedule. It's not a thing that we do all the time. I put it on the schedule quarterly or monthly and it's a special event and people come ready to work and it's something different and new and I love that then I leave it and I'm so tired and I'm so drained because the thing that I was really excited for and that did give me energy when I was in it made me even more tired than I was like teaching two regular classes in a row or whatever that might be so I think in terms of balancing even when you do fun things, you have to know that it does require energy to do that. And so to be real with yourself about what your week looks like, and even if it's all good things, they still 
require energy and thought and almost like quote unquote like putting it in your calendar like work because it's ultimately you only have so many hours to sleep at the end of the day and like you've got you've got to like recharge you and replenish all of your sources so it's something that I'm still navigating and learning but just understanding when I'm tired like okay that makes sense because I did that or why don't I have this energy of course I don't have the energy because I chose to go out to dinner with friends, which was fun, but now I am really tired to teach this morning class or whatever it is. And just understanding that without kind of beating yourself up about it and making those adjustments along the way has been helpful for me over the last few months. Maggie, that's really smart. Like that emotional intelligence is incredible. And I think what that can help you do too is see those trends over the long term and both help you understand when you need to pull back from community and help you understand when you actually need it, even though you might not think that you do or you might be like resistant to it in that moment. So, you know, a lot of the work that I'm doing right now is I'm wrapping up this book project for injured athletes. And um, my co-author on this book, who's a mental skills coach who works with injured athletes, um, we run a Facebook group called the Injured Athletes Club. So we're talking with people with injuries all the time. And one of the big things that can happen when you get hurt and you're an athlete or an active person is you feel really isolated because a lot of times it is your social network in addition to your livelihood or your workout or whatever. You know, to combat that takes like actual planning of finding a new outlet, a new social activity, a new source of community, whether that's connecting with the people you usually work out with for coffee instead of a run or a bike ride, or whether that is finding a different kind of activity you can do that doesn't involve your injured body part, that doesn't worsen your injury, that you can connect with a new community. And there's resistance to doing that because you're in a low mood already. You have so many other things to deal with. You don't want to think about it, but it actually helps so much. I mean, there are like all these different sorts of support that research shows that injured athletes need and injured humans and and humans in general need. And social support is just one really important thing. So when you step back and look, okay, what makes me feel tired? What makes me feel energized? And you can notice those trends. You can start to plan ahead for times that you will put yourself in a social situation, even though you don't necessarily want to be there in that moment and then realize that that is actually going to make you feel better. So community can be helpful in that way and just lift you out of of the dark spot that you might otherwise find yourself in. And what all of this really ladders up to is the fact that community and social support really is important for happiness. We've said it time and time again throughout this episode without maybe directly saying it, but study after study, uh, the World Happiness Report and other things that we will link to in the show notes show that link between social support and happiness. So while your community can help you achieve goals, it also can help you feel happier and thus healthier, which is really what we're all about here at A Sweat Life, making sure that you're living your best life with fitness as a catalyst. So for me and all of my co-hosts here today, we are so happy that you're our community. Uh, Thanks for listening and have a great week. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. Hi, goal getters. Cindy Kuzma here. If you would like to be featured on a future episode of We Got Goals, just record a voice memo with a goal that you've accomplished, a goal you're setting for the future, or your best goal getting tip. Email it to Cindy at sweatlife.com and you could hear your voice on a future episode. Now, here's one of your goals. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not.
Yes, I'm Kristen, and I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. So this is one that um, you know remains really strong in my memory and probably will for my life. Um, even though I was in college, um, I was I played varsity volleyball in, in college, and um, I, we got second place in our league every single year until my senior year when we finally won, and then made it actually into the second round of the NCAA tournament, which was pretty big for our, our league. Um, it was really important to me because, you know, obviously you spend a lot of hours in the gym, everything you think of as a, as a varsity athlete, but um, when I uh, got to school, I was a starter as a freshman, and then, you know, as we expanded our team and got better and better, we kept bringing in amazing players, and by the time I was a senior, I actually was not starting anymore and was um, not doing as well, but um, it was so important to me to really be a driver for this team who I knew was so talented and worked so hard and you know cared so much for each other. Um, we ended up winning that year um, and I ended up getting the, the leadership award um, for my team for cheering you know kind of rooting people on from the bench which was such a you know it's an interesting thing it, that ended up being more meaningful to me maybe than you know getting that final spike in the last game. Um, I loved being there and, and working on a different side of my game and that was the um, you know, teamwork, emotional, you know, motivation driver kind of person. So that was really important to me. It's kind of thinking about victories in a different way and, you know, maybe, you know, I didn't, you know, start the, start the game, I didn't get VIP, but, um, or not VIP, MVP, um, but, um, but, but yeah, yeah, that made it a lot more meaningful and kind of makes you step back from uh, different situations and, and see how you can affect them in your own personal, uh, really important way. Yeah, I said I'll be on a road, I'll be back, I'm just reaching for a goal, so don't be upset when I'm not around. This podcast is a SweatLife.com production, and it's another thing that is better with friends, just like everything else. So if you could share it with yours, we would be so grateful. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and while you're there, leave us a rating or review. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to Kathy Lai for editing, to Tech Nexus for the recording studio, and to you, our listeners.